Abby Kinney, and you are listening to Upzoned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Upzoned, a show where we take one big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kinney, an urban planner at Multi-Studio, and I am joined once again by our regular co-host, Chuck Barone, founder of Strong Towns. Hey, Chuck. Nice to have you back. Abby, it's nice to see you. I was actually, while you were talking there, Snapchatting my kids because that's what that's what I do now. I have teenage daughters and they like to communicate by Snapchat and <laughs> it's the summer and they're going multiple places and they're like, Dad, I'm doing it. I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, I'm still paying attention, but I am, you know, almost like teenager esque, uh, multitasking, you know, doing two things at once. Yeah, no problem. You got to get the <laughs> got to get the Snapchat selfies in. You know, I've never really been very good at Snapchat, although I have it, but I do keep it on my phone because they're, they have the Snapchat map. Have you yeah, ever yeah. seen this? Mm-hmm. And you can go anywhere in the world and just see what people, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. you can see what's going on. And so whenever major events are happening in the world, my first my first thing is to go to the Snapchat map and go check it out. Yeah, whatever's going on in the world. So, okay, so hang on. The thing is, Snapchat is one of those things that I, I Snapchat with my daughters and my nieces and a couple of my nephews, but mostly my daughters and my nieces, which I have plenty. Um, but I don't do like pers- – like I let work people follow me on Facebook and even Instagram and Twitter, of course – but Snapchat's like kind of private, right? Like I don't do that with everybody. But I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd connect with you, Abby, on Snapchat. That would be, guess what? I wonder what my username is. I won't oh, say I it on exactly this because I don't is. want people Because I'm connected to you. Guess what? I'm actually connected Are we connected, connected to you. on Snapchat? See, that's yeah. how much I don't check it. Yeah. So I here, I'm really going to Snapchat you a picture of you. Wow, this is really <laughs> fascinating. Uh <laughs> Welcome to Upzone. We're uh Chuck you know. sent me a snap. Oh my god. Uh, so okay, I just Snapchatted you a picture of you. So now we're cool. Now we uh All right, we're cool. You're one of my Here. friends now. Oh, I'll do the same. <laughs> there you go. Uh sorry to the audience. I we're just um, you know, we, it's funny because you and I have been talking for half an hour, 35 minutes. <laughs> I know. I know. We uh, always, we, yeah, so, some days uh, are more efficient than others. And yeah, usually not because we, en- we enjoy each other's company is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have been traveling a lot. So it was a good opportunity to catch up Yeah, as well. Yeah. So, so All let's right. get into the story for today. So um, the story that we're covering was published in D Magazine by Matt Goodman. It is entitled Dallas City Council Members Walk Back Promises to Remove I-345. So for many way, years- can, can I yeah. add, before we get like too far into this, can I say yeah, D yeah. Magazine, D Magazine, one of the best city-based publications in the country. I really? Mean, I oh, thought yeah. this article was great. No, they do some of the the best reporting, the best insights. If every city had an equivalent of D Magazine, it would be transformational. This is a 
a great publication. It really I is. I love that. Yeah. Well. So I'm glad we're featuring their article. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so for many years now, the Texas Department of Transportation has been debating and studying the feasibility of removing IH-345, which is a 1.7-mile segment of elevated highway that dissects downtown Dallas and Deep Ellum. Last month, the DOT released their official conclusion that removing the highway is unfeasible and instead recommends what they're calling a hybrid approach, which would involve tearing down the elevated freeway and rebuilding it in a 65-foot deep trench that will contain 10 lanes and then bridging the local streets over that trench to I guess reconnect to the neighborhoods. <laughs> I feel like there should be like a sound effect here, like one of those, you know, wah, wah, wah kind of things. Yeah, it's, uh, I know, maybe we should start incorporating sound effects into this. Yeah, uh, maybe. I'm not against that. I, I actually do have uh, drums, ballpark. There's some on this Zencaster. Oh, is there app, really? But... Interesting. Okay, well, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we can be. Oh yeah, there we that? go. Okay, so that yeah. doesn't really go with the vibe. No, it doesn't. But, but we'll, uh, we'll use it for now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so this move costs one billion dollars and is a major pivot from the idea that was first proposed by urban planners Patrick Kennedy and Brandon Hancock of removing the interstate entirely and replacing it with a boulevard that would reconnect East and South Dallas and reposition two hundred and forty-five acres of land for redevelopment. Back in 2021, 12 Dallas council members were actually openly supportive of removing the highway and replacing it with the boulevard. Yet following the DOT's formal recommendation, no members of the city council's transportation committee have spoken in favor of removal and are all supporting this hybrid solution. And also local institutions like Downtown Dallas, Inc. and Deep Ellum Foundation are also endorsing the recommendation by Texas Department of Transportation and basically just urging for feedback for sufficient pedestrian infrastructure for the bridges that are going to cross this trench. So, you know, this is a definitely an initiative and a project that is new to me. I'm just catching up. And while it's, I'm sure, a major blow to many people who have advocated for transitioning this highway to a boulevard, I, as somebody who has been to Dallas several times, I, I just have to wonder if it is a major surprise. I feel like there's very few places in the country that have been, they've basically gone so aggressively all in on highway infrastructure and sprawl. And, you know, this if this hybrid approach moves forward, it seems to send a pretty clear message that highway capacity and maintaining commute times are the central priority of the Dallas Metro, not necessarily reconnecting neighborhoods or improving uh, the downtown neighborhood quality of life. Uh, or, or being financially successful and strong yeah. and healthy, right? <laughs> not like, to I, mention. Yeah. So let, let's start out with this. Patrick Kennedy is a hero. He is one of these people who, you know, when people say, well, you know, one person can't make a difference. And then you like point to somebody who like, look, here's someone who has. Um, Patrick Kennedy has been a a linchpin in changing this entire conversation. This is a laughable conversation in Texas, right? Because Texas DOT has not only such 
power and authority and all the kind of hubris and conceit that comes with that. But they're, they, they, they're able to project that conceit because they are part of this culture that, yeah, it, you know, build it wide, build it straight, build it flat, build it big. I got to get my big truck down here, you know. I was trying to think of like what the what the sign is that they do for the college there, but I can't. I, I can do it. See, I'm doing the <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the Longhorn. Thing. Yeah, I'm not a. I'm not. I I used to do that when I would make fun of one of my when I would tease one of my board members who's from Texas. I'm not part of the Texas culture, and so I I don't actually know it. So I'm I'm kind of you know taunting them a touch here uh, visually that people can't see. The interesting thing about this project is that they have picked a piece of highway that is absolutely unnecessary in terms of like regional infrastructure. If you want to get from the south side of the Dallas metro to the north side of the Dallas metro, th this highway does nothing for you. If you want to get from east to west, this highway does nothing for you. The only thing this highway does is funnel people theoretically into the middle of the city. And it does it in like the least efficient, uh, most congested like mindlessly dumb kind of way, right? It, anybody who, who understands the dynamics of traffic flow recognize that distributing that same traffic over a grid as opposed to running it on one highway where you bring everybody into that and then try to run it, it is one of the worst congested highways. People don't go anywhere. As a transportation system, it fails, it's redundant, it needs to go away. And I, I want to say, I'm, I'm going to say this, pejoratively or, or like, I'm going to make an extreme statement, but I, I think, I think everybody who's actually looked thoughtfully at this issue recognizes that fact that as a transportation feature, this is a really, at, at the very best, a low grade invest, a low value investment. And at the worst, like a worthless redundant investment. So if you're going to pick a highway to turn into a boulevard and get rid of, like, this is got to be on the top five list in the country. In addition to that, you have a neighborhood in Deep Elm and really the, the, the neighboring adjacent downtown that is in this fast growing, dynamic, uh, high investment kind of, kind of region that is struggling for similar kinds of investments. And I saw an analysis once that said, if we do this highway to boulevard conversion, the amount of tax base that was going to be generated would not only pay for, I mean, we're going to look, they're looking to drop a billion dollars on this, an insane amount of money on building this thing. Mm -hmm. A billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. It was going to cost a lot less to do this the right way. But I think that the cost part is only one side of it. The revenue side is the others. The, the amount of private sector investment that you would create in this region by turning this into a boulevard instead of a trench is astronomical. And it cannot be matched with any type of investment that you would make to bridge this gap or put a cap over this gap or do whatever, you know, engineering wise over this gap. It, it, is, uh, it, it is not uh, even comparable. And so, yeah, you, you, to me, this is the quintessential situation where a strong downs approach a, an approach that would say this is a, a corridor for building wealth and capacity in the community. The investment would be lower cost. The payoff would be way higher. And that whole mindset is trumped by this delusion that we're going to try to move vehicles quickly and that somehow 
the the Dallas city itself is going to benefit more from a marginal in you know theoretical increase in traffic counts than it will from billions of dollars of private sector investments. And I just I I don't I don't get that mindset. Yeah, we we've got to learn how to move people from point A to point B without undermining the value of everything around our infrastructure. I mean, highways are are not only costly in terms of how much they cost to build, how much they cost to maintain them over time, but in terms of everything around them, they undermine all of the land value. And you can go to Google Street View right now and go look at this portion of highway and right now see all of this local Dallas land around it for several blocks that is basically undevelopable, that people don't want to build next to. And that is not just the case in Dallas. That is the case for so many places around the United States that where you've essentially cut interstates through urban neighborhoods. And so what do you get around those areas? You get front-end roads, you get parking lots, you get just vacant land, and nobody wants, it's places that nobody wants to be in. And, you know, highways are really inherently a nuisance to neighborhoods. And that's why people don't want to walk over them. They don't want to walk under them. Uh, People don't want to live next to them. And centrally located neighborhoods and cities are the ones that are bearing the brunt, essentially, of a metropolitan's demand for efficient commute times and the ability to move very, very long distances. And it, it just... I, I really think we need to look at other approaches and these boulevard approaches more seriously. I, I don't I don't know if I'm convinced that the Department of Transportation has the capacity to really change the way that they look at these things. I don't know. I know there's changes going on at the federal level, but I, I do commend these planners in Dallas who seem to have built a lot of local support and started to change the conversation, even if this may seem like like a loss, it, you know, it seems like they they have built support around this concept of shifting things from being aggressive highway in- infrastructure and thinking more seriously about boulevards as a viable uh, way of moving moving traffic throughout the city, while also uh, not undermining the value of everything around that piece of infrastructure. I feel like you're right on when you question the DOT's capacity to do this. Because we've we have asked the Department of Transportation, and I know in many ways they've tried to dress this up in recent years, like, hey, we're about climate change and we're about, you know, like we have uh, all this, we have a social justice part of our mission, and they have all these other things that they try to wrap around, like the marketing brochure around. Do you their think core. that's why? That's why they picked the word hybrid for this approach yeah, because it sells no, better. <laughs> totally. I think it I think it is an attempt to kind of acknowledge that, you know, there's other there's cross purposes here. But the reality is is like the core function of the Department of Transportation in its current constituted makeup and particularly with its current funding stream and by funding stream I, I I'm alluding to who are its masters? Who are, who is it responsive to? It is all an automobile accommodating construction approach. That's what it is. Its its core mission is moving vehicles, automobile vehicles, uh, in volume. 
if you look at that core function, that core function is not well acclimated to doing this type of conversion project. And I almost feel like asking the DOT to come back and make a recommendation. Hey, DOT, uh, come back and make a recommendation on how to gut your core uh, uh, function, your core objective, and do something completely different that, oh, by the way, you know, I'm going to argue would actually meet your core objective, but would do it in like a way that is unconventional for you. It's just, it's too far of a leap. It's too far of a leap. And I actually think it's the wrong question. So let's ask the right question. And then I think we'll get to a, a different uh, decision-making process here. To me, the right question is when you look at Dallas of 2022, and we're not talking about Dallas of 1970 or 1980, we're talking about Dallas of, of 2022, a place that has seen a revival, has seen investment come in, has seen more and more people want to move downtown, live downtown, not have a car, uh, you know, live a, a more urban lifestyle, has seen neighborhoods start to come back. And, and, and we can point to Deep Ellum as one that has seen some investment. Uh, there's also the Bishop Arts District that has seen this huge renaissance. You, you, you look at these neighborhoods that have experienced this and you say, okay, are we as a city, are we as a community here going to be better off if we can entice people who live 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles, 50 miles, 60 miles away to drive in every day and park their vehicles here and then shop and go to businesses and do what have you. Is that our path to prosperity? Or is our path to prosperity to not shut those people out, but, but not compromise the investment potential, the quality of life, the experience of living in the city in order to accommodate those people, but instead focus first on what it means to build a great neighborhood, a great street, a great place for people to be, uh, attract investment, uh, make living in Dallas a really super high quality experience that more and more people want to, that people are willing to pay a premium to be part of. And then as a secondary function, accommodate those people who want to live far away and drive in. I, I feel like that's, that's not the answer to that question is so clearly the second choice. I don't even think anybody would disagree with that. Like, I don't know is anyone in the city government or any resident of Dallas is really going to disagree with that. Well, it reminds me of the prioritization list of engineering where, you know, it's first traffic speed, then traffic volume, then safety, then cost. And what's not included on, on that list at all is urban design, quality of life, reconnecting neighborhoods, these types of things when it comes to massive transportation projects are never really part of the conversation and never really, I, I think, seriously considered. Um, you know, transportation is really centered around traffic speed and volume first, then maybe cost and safety second. Um, and, and it's really not about actually stitching together neighborhoods. And I think this marketing pamphlet of, oh, this hybrid approach is going to reconnect these areas while also supporting business as usual. Just, I mean, it reminds me of a metaphor you've used before where you call something a futon because it's never, it's neither a great bed or a great couch. I think they right. should call this the futon approach yeah, uh, rather the than the hybrid approach. approach. Yeah, That's because really it's good. not. It's probably not doing both uh, very well. And, you know, if you, I, 
we should probably link that video that I sent to you earlier today that shows the flyover of what they're proposing because you can really get a sense of what all these bridges are going to look like that will span over this trench. And it's it it's honestly laughable, like just looking at all of these six lane, four lane strodes that are going to quote unquote connect these neighborhoods together. And you can see these little people on these sidewalks with no buffering between the traffic lanes uh, in, in the sidewalk pedestrian areas. This is not a place that anybody would willingly want to walk. This, this is going to be w- people who don't want to walk across this bridge that will be forced to walk across these bridges. It's not going to improve quality of life. It's going to to enable people to probably have the same commute time that they did before, but now they're just in a tunnel and then drive over that tunnel on the local streets. And, uh, you know, that those are the two primary things that, that this is going to do, and it's going to cost $1 billion. So of taxpayer money. And and no offense to the people of Dallas, who I, I think generally, I'll go back to Patrick Kennedy, who's a, a beautiful guy and has a, an amazing backstory and has just done astounding work here. And I I, I really, he is a kind of a hero. I mean, I, I think he's done amazing work. Jason Roberts is another one who I just think is is astounding. And there's, there's people I don't know as well who are connected with them, who have likewise done, you know, very inspiring things. Um, Monty Anderson is part of this conversation going on there. Um, <laughs> I, I sent this to Monty earlier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of people on the ground trying to make things work here. Um, so this is no offense to them because I feel like they're beautiful people with a, with a great vision. But this is an investment for a third-rate city. This is an investment for a city that is comfortable being third-rate. And if there's one thing about Texas that you get all the time is like, you know, Texas, we're big, we're bold, we're, you know, leading <laughs> go, this, we're go leading big that. Go home, yeah. yeah. Th- this is an investment for a third-rate city. This is the kind of thing that a third-rate place does. And I said, not a second-rate, right? This is a third-rate thing. This is like low down the platform. This is so unimaginative, uncreative, lacking in vision, lacking in inspiration, lacking in goals and outcomes. I mean, what goal are we trying to attain here? Like, what is the ultimate thing we're trying to get? Strodishly reconnect some neighborhoods in a half, I was going to swear there, a half-baked kind of way, a half a half um, real kind of way, right? Like, you're not, you're, your description of the futon is correct. You're, you're not trying to do anything well. You're trying to do everything third rate. And you're spending a billion dollars to do it. What? What's the point? What What is the point? And it's it's depressing in that way because it is a serious commitment of time and energy for something so lacking in vision. Well, and for one billion dollars, why don't you just improve the con- the existing condition? Essentially, like you, I mean, you could improve the existing local streets, and it's it would be very an ideal but it would be better than spending a billion dollars just flipping it so that the highway is now in a trench and the roads are uh, uh above it on bridges i just i i feel like that is a huge price tag that you know to be paid for by by taxpayers i mean and, and it's like you're not really giving taxpayers a true 
set of options as to how they may want to spend $1 billion. If you were to um, put that proposal in front of people in Dallas, I'm sure that they would probably choose a lot of other things to spend a billion dollars on that isn't, you know, flipping the situation um, and, and not really making any major change to to improve the communities and quality of life in this area. Right. I, I would hope that would be the case. I, I, I think believe so. that yeah. in Dallas it would be the case. But but let's be clear and let me be, uh, I mean, I realize I've been a little ranty here up to this point, but let me be uh, a final rant perhaps. Yeah, soapbox. Um, well, we, we have these debates and these conversations about the federal role in transportation. And there's a whole like mindset that says we need a very active federal role in transportation. We need the federal government funding all this stuff. And, 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 you know, if you listen to the most optimistic um, voices in that debate and you try not to be cynical, what you hear them saying is we need the federal government to be the investment vehicle because they're going to innovate. If you want, um, you know, the types of strong towns investments you want, you, you need the federal government there being the catalyst in that. They're the ones who are going to fund getting rid of this futon of transportation, trying to get, they're the ones who are going to fund transit. They're the ones who are going to fund uh, green infrastructure. They're the ones who are going to be the catalyst for this. And then I look at a project like this and I fully recognize that the bulk of the funding here is going to come from the federal government to thwart the, the cheaper project that would be done if this were a purely local project. There's no way you do a local project here without taking into account the actual return on investment. If if you're going to invest local dollars primarily in this project and you have to get a local return on that investment to actually pay for the project, there is no way this outcome comes about. It is only because we have a federal department of transportation, a federal infrastructure bill, and they crowd out all the good investments that you get this kind of outcome. And so when I'm when I'm like categorically against like the you know the 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 latest infrastructure bill, like, oh, but Chuck, it funds transit. Oh, but Chuck, it funds bike lanes. Oh, but Chuck, it funds sidewalks. I don't care because those things are tiny fractions of the spending, and the bulk of the spending goes to junk like this that my heart aches for a guy like Patrick Kennedy because this guy has devoted so much time in his life. To, to, to loving the city and making it a better place and to have a, a result like this um, is just sad. It's really sad because he has a great vision for what Dallas should be. The people in Dallas, I think, actually buy into his vision. Um, but the money is crowding out uh, the good alternatives. Well, that's a very depressing note to end on, but hopefully people in Dallas keep keep fighting the good fight. And, you know, it, it's encouraging that it sounds like there's a lot of, of traction with this idea and that, you know, there is people that, that support the idea and have been part of that conversation. And so, um, you know, just, I guess, give it to a DOT to undermine it, (laughs) but yeah. Yeah. We need to, I mean, I think the, the one saving grace of this is that the no build option is a better option than what's on the table. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it, at a worst case scenario is we try to buy ourselves some more time so that the ridiculousness of this project continues to, you know, stands out even more in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not building is an option. <laughs> we seem yeah. to forget that there's, there yeah. is the choice to just not do something and put a pin in it. 
um, rather than spending a lot of money to do something that doesn't actually improve the communities around it. So, well, at some point, this highway local dollars. Yeah, at some point, this highway will fall down. You know, but uh, and, and of course, I don't want that to happen in a way that anyone gets hurt. Um, but you know, shutting off this highway and letting it fall down is like a better option than what they're going to do. Yeah. But Texas has a lot of this. I mean, Texas has built, if you've, for, for those of people listening who have never been to Texas, been to the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, the one thing that will astound you when you go there is just for such a flat, uh, state with literally like no obstructions anywhere. I mean, there's no huge bodies of water. There's no, you know, you, you think of like, the mountain states having to construct things or, or even here in Minnesota where we got all these lakes and what have you that you, you can literally just go build on soft sand all over the place in Dallas. It's the most forgiving environment possible. Yet they have so much elevated stuff, stuff that you see in other parts of the country in only the most complex, difficult to navigate situations. And my very first experience there, you know, was driving along going, wow, who screwed that up? Um, and then like, wow, who screwed that up? Because whenever you see something where it's like completely flat ground and there's nothing around, but you've got to stack like five highways on top of each other uh, in these massive elevated ways, it just says, okay, somebody was not, somebody was not thinking. Yeah. And it's, it's not it at all. The answer is that they've, they're so drunken with transportation dollars that they have what Jane Jacobs calls cataclysmic money. They just throw money at stuff. Instead of using their brain and thinking, they throw money at stuff. And the, the Texas Department of Transportation is, okay, they, they are ridiculously sophisticated in doing complicated stuff. They are the stupidest transportation department in terms of thinking strategically long-term about what they're doing. And it's because they have too much money and it's made them dumb. Yeah, dumb money. We've And we've been dumb living money. in an era yeah. of dumb money for sure. So uh, let's leave it there. Um, but before we finish up today, it is time for the down zone, which is time when we can share anything that we've been listening to, reading, watching, anything that's been uh, captivating our time these days. So Chuck, I'll uh, hand it off to you. What is your down zone? I don't think I brought this up last week, um, but Chloe, 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 my oldest, Chloe, um, she is really into Stranger Things. Mm. And she's talked dad into watching these. Um, she watched like the first two seasons. I think we're on season four now, right? She, yeah. she watched the first two. She After she watched both seasons, she said, dad, you really need to watch these. And I'm like, eh, okay. Yeah. And then um, she's like, dad, let's watch them together. And that's, that's the death knell right there. Cause when she says, you know, I'm a 15 year old girl, I'm a 16 year old girl. I, I want to watch these together. I'm like, okay, I'm watching it with you. Like, I don't <laughs> care if I don't like it. I don't know if you've seen these. They're great. They're, They're great. Really, oh, it's a good show. Like it's a really good show. Yeah. So we did that. Um, when they come out, the new ones, she has a group of friends that gets together and watch this, you know, watches them like in a row, right? Like they mm -hmm. have a, so they'll have an all night party now tonight. We're recording this on Friday and the new ones came out today. They're going to watch it tonight. Um, but Chloe has, we watched season three together and now we've been watching this season together and she wanted to go with it, with it, with me 
to have watched them all for a second time for her before the new ones come out. So last night we stayed up and watched the last one and that was very good. Now she goes, now dad, you get to watch the new ones right away. And I had to wait through months or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> my wife had this experience with Harry Potter too, because I got into Harry Potter. I read all the books, but I read them when number seven came out. Oh, and my really? wife was like, yeah, my wife was kind of mad at me because I'm like, these are incredible books. Like they're really well written. And this is such a like deep story with fascinating characters. And like, by the time you get to the seventh book, it's just, it's hard to put it down. Um, she said, you realize that the seventh book, I had to wait like two years for that thing to come oh, out. Oh yeah. Two agonizing years. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sorry. I'm late to the party. So I don't have the agony of Sometimes of that's the benefit of yeah, waiting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've been binging on Stranger Things with a 17 year old, um, who is, uh, likes, still likes to spend time with her dad sometimes. Well, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's great. The younger um, one. The other one it watched one episode and is like, I'm never watching this again. It scares Oh, really? Me. Yeah. Oh. So, so no. Yeah, it is kind of scary. Yeah. It, I don't remember how young your youngest is, but She's I mean, 15 it scares now. me and I'm uh, yeah. in my 20s. So <laughs> let me say this. My wife, who is going to, is going to turn 49 at the end of the summer, would, be, would not watch them either. So Really? Kind of, <laughs> yeah. And it's not that she just is one of these people who's like, if it's scary, like I don't need it in my head. And that's the way Stella is too, the younger one. Yeah, that's how my husband kind of is. <laughs> yeah. He's not scared. He that's just okay. doesn't. He just do, isn't that interested in scary stuff. Yeah. I don't need those things rolling around in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, this actually might be a surprise to you that I haven't read this book because we've talked about it so many times. But I am actually just now getting around to reading Dignity by Chris Arnotti. Yeah. Um, I feel like we talked about it maybe recently, but I. Basically, was was like I need to actually read it <laughs> because yeah. I've read so much about it. I feel like it's like core to so many things that we talk about online and offline, and just so many things that I, I often think about, um, and just our typical political discourse these days. So, yeah, it's it's an amazing book. I'm I'm in the middle of it right now. You know, it really illustrates how social class differences create these like distinctions between the front row back row America discussion that we often have. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's almost like hard to read, um, because it's so yeah. real, but it's, it's an amazing book. Well, he is, um, as well as being a, a very gifted writer, he's a great photographer. And so the, the book I don't know if you're doing the audiobook or the the visual book, but I'm doing the audiobook. Yeah, okay. I say I'm saying I'm reading it. I'm yeah, listening yeah. to I'm, it. I'm with you. The audiobook is very good because his writing is fantastic. Um if you can get a hold of the the hardcover book, his photos are just stunning. I mean, he is he he is great at capturing the human condition and I, yeah, his it was my number one book of the year the year it came out. Um I, I'm 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 not going to say that there was a ton in it where I was like, um, "Wow, that's a revelation that I'd never pondered before." But what it was was a distillation of a condition in a way that was very um, moving, motivating, and 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 uh, kind of focusing for me. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been I've been deeply. Uh, inspired and motivated by the book. So I'm, I'm happy for you that you're getting to experience it. Finally, finally reading it. 
<laughs> well, uh, it sounds like I I will need to get the hard copy of the book because I'm sure the photography is what lends yeah. itself to have the full experience. So I I will order I that. I don't know if you read his blog or not, but he started a Substack, um, like walking around the world or something like that. Yeah, and he, I saw yeah, that. Yeah, it it is it is so genius. You know, it's it's just it's a it's a brilliant concept. And um, he tells these stories so great and he goes to these places and I, I actually, and I'll say this, I'm saying this with thousands of people listening. Um, there's been a part of me that has wanted to, cause we, we are, um, we are friends to the extent that we, uh, you know, we Twitter chat and I've had him on the podcast and we've, we've spoken a couple of times. Um, I know he's referred to me as a friend and I would, I would do likewise. I, I, I really like him. Um, there's a part of me that has wanted to call him up and say, Hey, um, when you do your next place in the U S let me know. Cause I would like to walk with you. Um, and I'd like to like do an audio version of this, like just have you narrate what you're seeing and, and talk to some of the people that you talk to and, and get a sense of this because th there's, there's a lot of depth there and there's a lot going on there. And, and part of it is that he has a sense for the places to go. To, to, to capture this, this part of America. Um, and part of it is that, you know, he has his own kind of keen insight that I think is, is just always worthy of pause and, and listening to. Yeah. So maybe we can true make that artist. happen someday. He's a true artist. I've, I've, I've never broached that with him. Um, but it's something that we've talked about a little bit of internally and uh, it's kind of on my bucket list, my wish list someday. Yeah. That would be very cool. Yeah, let me yeah. know if, if that ever works out. That would be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll end it there. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of UpZoned. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Chuck. Bye-bye, Abby. Let me show you what I'm about to do.